Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme today by Sarah Quarter. Sarah is the CEO of Very Berry Digital, an award-winning Essex-based digital marketing agency which specialises in PR, SEO, content marketing and social media management. Sarah, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on today's programme. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's a real pleasure, Sarah. Um, The purpose of this discussion is to first and foremost establish your take on leadership. So if we dive straight in by taking that word leader aside for a moment and exploring that Mm -hmm. in a little bit more depth, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you. What should a leader be in your view? Um, I think from my perspective, somebody who's a leader should be um, involved in looking forward and seeing how a situation can progress, but doing it with the help of other people. There's, in my opinion, never a case of one person is right. I think that everybody's opinions are valid and should be considered and any direction that a leader moves their team forward in should be um, understood by everybody um, and the reasons for it should be given as well. So this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is how we're doing it. What do you think? Mm, very much clarity of vision, um, for sure, Sarah. I completely um, understand where you're coming from there. And if we think about sort of your sort of personal leadership model, how would you describe that? Um, I think it's very similar to that. Um, I know what I want to do and I know where I want to go. Um, but equally, I want everybody around me to understand the reasons behind it and why I'm looking at what I'm doing and what happens when we get there. Equally, I'm always interested in the opinions of the people around me because Everybody makes mistakes, and I think hearing mm. positive and negative feedback as to any ideas you have can only be a good thing. Mm. It's a very inclusive and collaborative sort of leadership that is, and encouraging people to essentially have their voices heard and challenge um, those leading them um, as well. Because you're right in saying that as human beings, we are all fallible, and we don't, um, we're not essentially completely flawless, even in leadership roles. In fact, one thing um, I will ask you, uh, Sarah, actually is, do you think that it's possible to develop into an effective employee and indeed an effective leader without getting things wrong, trying something and then embracing those setbacks as a learning curve as and when they come? Um, I mean, I'm sure that there are people who have fallen on their feet and as they've led, they've not made any errors. Mm. Um but I think that it's natural that we all do. And I think that it's important that nobody looks at it as um, a reflection on them as a whole. Um, errors are going to occur. They're going to happen. And you just have to sort of onwards and upwards with it and, and carry on and make sure that if it's something that isn't going to be replicated, you don't do it again. And I think when it comes to sort of being thrust in at the deep end in a leadership position, I think if we... Th- to consider the uh, the current climate with the COVID-19 pandemic, no less. That's probably been the biggest example of a learning curve that we've mm-hmm. seen um, in our time um, in terms of business leadership. From your point of view, Sarah, just how difficult has it been navigating the last few weeks and months? Um, it's definitely been hard. Um, the initial period was very difficult. We lost a lot of work, um, which thankfully we've, we've now um, come back and we're in a better position. But um, financially it was difficult and also the strain on what people were feeling and their mental health can't be underestimated either. So it was a juggling act of keeping the business afloat and also making sure that everybody was okay and everybody was happy and making sure that the clients that we had as well were still getting what they needed. Um, Thankfully, we have a government furlough scheme. That was fantastic. And we did use that for a short period. 
Um, we're all back working now, um, but that doesn't mean the support stops. There's still a lot of things to consider. You still have to ask people, are you comfortable with this current setup? Make sure that everybody is physically as well as uh, mentally safe. Mm. Just how important is mental health in leadership, do you think, both in terms of safeguarding your own and also that of those around you? I think it's very important. I don't think it can be underestimated. And I think that anything that you have um, in terms of mental well-being has a knock-on effect on your physical well-being anyhow, um, which Mm. can be seen with a lot of conditions as well, um, can be brought on by stress. So I think that when you're in a position of leadership, it is your responsibility to make sure that those who are working with you and around you are happy as, as much as they can be. I mean, no one's ever going to be completely satisfied all the time. But if there's ever anything that you can do, you should implement it. So, for example, um, we've got a four-day working week. So that we find that the people in the office have a better work-life balance. So they still work 35 hours a week. They just do it over an extended period. So they do slightly longer days. Um, they work eight till six, four days a week rather than nine to five, five days a week. Um, we also, during the period once we all come back, offered um, extra help for anybody who needed it. We... When we were working from home, we had um, Zoom calls at the start and the end of each day. And the one at the start of each day was very practical, what we're going to do today, how we're going to do it, and and, um, what's going to be done for the clients. And the one at the end of each day, we all took it in turns to um, run a quiz or do a game or just do something to sort of uplift people before they left and also provide that cutoff because where a lot of people were working from home, it's difficult to walk away from your computer screen when you're still in the same room or you're still in the same house and kind of think, okay, well, my working day is over now. Whereas we we found by doing that quiz or whatever the game was, it provided that, um, it drew a line under the day and provided Mm -hmm. a chance for people to step away from what they were doing. <clears throat> yes, exactly. I can certainly see um, the uh, the merit um, in that, uh, Sarah, because it does essentially, when you have to adapt to new working practice, particularly working from home, sort of blur the line between sort of working life and that sort of home social life to an extent, yeah, doesn't it? Um, it does. Also, um, we talked there about a fa- the fact that as a leader, it is um, ultimately your responsibility to take ownership of uh, situations. The buck stops with you and naturally you at the top of the chain in the business are the person that people look to when they need that little bit of direction and reassurance at a time like this. But also um, it, that comes with an awful amount of pressure. And when there is nobody above you, as it were, to essentially look to for that little bit of inspiration when you need it, I'm interested to understand where it is that you look to just for that little bit of self-reassurance. Um, I think, sorry, <clears throat> I think a lot of it is pulled out of um, talking to my dad over his own business. Mm. So it's really helpful for me to be able to speak to him and ask him questions as to how would you manage this situation. Um, going back to when I first set the business up, I took everything you said as gospel and I've now sort of realized that they're very different businesses and very different industries, but naturally the opinion is still very valuable. Um, so I, I tend to go in that direction more than anything else. Um, I think it's important as well to, as your business grows and as you grow with it, you do start to re- reflect more on what you think and the reactions become more considered mm. and less knee-jerk is probably the right word um, to that. I think when you're setting up a business, everybody in the early days worries about things and if they, something has to be done, they think it has to be done now, 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 whereas there is time. There is always time to do things that you need to and make sure that they're done right as a result. Yes, it's about being reactive, but not being knee-jerk reactive, isn't it? I think it's striking that balance between sort of getting things done, but also doing them in a measured manner, which is incredibly um, important. 
Um, reflecting on sort of the experience that you've had in crisis management, if you'd like to call it that, during this time, Sarah, would you say that there is anything that this pandemic experience has taught you as a business leader? Um, I think that it's shown the strength of the team because everybody pulled together and worked really hard. Everybody came up with a lot of different ideas on how we could push ourselves as a business. And as a marketing office, the onus is very much on us to be able to build the business back up again because, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's what we do. We do it for clients, so we should be able to do it for ourselves. Um, And we were able to do it very quickly. We turned things around um, very fast, within around six weeks. But that's not to say that we're fantastic and look what we can do. It's more about when you work together as a team and you collaborate, you will come out a bit better at the other end. It's certainly a combined effort. Nothing can be done when you try and do things on your own. And I'm correct in saying, um, do, of course, um, tell me if I'm wrong here, Sarah, but you've been running this business very, very since 2009, so 11 years now. You've now had this real curveball of having to deal with the COVID-19 situation during that um, ownership and uh, running of the business. So if you had to give some advice based upon those 11 years to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in leadership role within a company, what advice would you give them? Um. If it was purely based on leadership, I think my advice would very much be based around research. Make sure you look into everything that you do. Don't make any decisions without considering all of the alternatives. And try and think out of the box as well. Don't think just because somebody else has done that, that will work. Take your own path into what you think will make you successful. And don't allow anyone to sway you from it. Um, I remember when I was first setting up, um, a couple of people said to me, I just don't think that's going to work. And I persisted with it, and um, we're here 11 years later. Don't If somebody is negative towards you, don't take it as a slight. Take it on board, consider mm. it, but ultimately continue with your plans anyhow. Perseverance, and I think that's incredibly sound advice, um, indeed, Sarah. Um, we are, however, entering very uncertain times, of course. We don't know exactly the direction that... COVID-19 situation is going to go in from here, whether there'll be a second spike in cases. Of course, the full economic impact is still uh, yet to be seen as well. But as we embrace the new normal and the challenges that that is going to bring, just before we wrap things up on the programme, I'm interested to understand what you think is on the horizon for yourself and for Berry Berry and what you really hope to achieve as a business during this period. Um, I mean, initially, when the year started out, we have a five-year plan that we follow and it was very much based around growth. I think that any business who can survive the pandemic is a successful business. I think that this year, everybody needs to take a step back and look at the plans that they had and reevaluate them and look at if, if you're able to trade by January 2021, then you've done a fantastic job because you've managed to survive the pandemic and then you can reevaluate, you can start again and you can um, adjust your plans as you see fit. But just about getting through it, managing to keep your, your team with you and provide a good service. And do you think that it's going to bring about some changes in working practices um, within um, your business as well, um, Sarah? Or do you see sort of things reverting kind of back to the way that they were pre-pandemic? No, I think it offers another level of of flexibility. Um, We were always very resistant to having people working from home because we liked having everybody in the office and easily accessible. And I think that the pandemic has shown us that we can effectively work um, from from our home if we need to. Mm. So it's an option that we would have open for people now should it be um, of a benefit to them. 
so I think that it has shown us that we don't need to be quite so rigid in our working practices. Mm, certainly going to be interesting times from uh, that point of view, Sarah. And given how informative it's been having you join us on the uh, the programme today to discuss your experiences and your take on leadership, I think it would be wonderful to catch up in future and have you back on the show with us just to see how things are getting on in the next few months as you adjust to the challenges that the new normal will bring. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be fantastic. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you join us uh, today. And most importantly, Sarah, until we do hopefully speak again in future, please do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on. Thank you. I was speaking today to Sarah Quarter, CEO of Very Berry Digital. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 FIFA World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium. 54 long years ago. I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff and all of that is coming up next. Uh, we're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, at one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. 
Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62-40 before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. 
And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I 
did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I look round, put my foot on the ball, and look round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well, so it did... Um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe 
uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's have a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely—you've mm. got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, in a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they—they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that, struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. 
and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation and I think that's you're completely focused you're always thinking about uh, things thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful Excellent well Jeff on that point thank you very much for joining us today you're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.